0: Hi, I'm Alison Sandy.
1: I'm Brian Seymour. And I'm Sally Layden.
0: Welcome to Episode 12 of Conversations. We're just back from Byron Bay. Sally, Brian, tell me about it.
1: Well, obviously, back to Byron after our earlier visit, very early on in this journey, and this time to track down um, a few things. Number one, the original police officer Sally first reported her mum missing to back in 1997, Uh, a police officer by the name of Graham Childs, and also employees at the Commonwealth Bank Branch where Marion or someone using her identity drained her account over three and a half weeks at the rate of $5,000 a day up to $125,000 at the Commonwealth Bank in Byron Bay. Now, obviously, these days, if someone were to go into a bank branch, they'd be on camera, They'd be electronically, digitally recorded. You couldn't get away with that. This was just on the cusp of all that all that technology. The security cameras they had were only turned on when there was a robbery. They, they were still using paper. They were filling out slips and signing cards. A second staff member would then identify um, through a photo ID the person taking the money over a certain amount. But we found out a number of interesting things because we did track down the key person we were looking for remarkably a man who turns out was the bank supervisor in 1997 at the Commonwealth Bank branch in Byron Bay, and his name was Brian Cox. We've known about Mr Cox for a while. We've been trying to call him. We needed to physically go there, and we actually found him at his place of work. And believe it or not, he works at the local um, waste uh, management facility, otherwise known as the Tip. So, um, Sally, we had a delightful trip to the Tip.
2: Yeah, we did, and um, he was a very nice man. He was very happy to talk to us and um, go on camera, and, you know, um, he'd already been contacted by a fellow um, manager at the Byron Bay branch who I had also been in contact with, Bill Peters. Um, Bill ironically rang us the day we were actually driving to Byron Bay um, very kindly, and he said he'd found Brian as well, and he was... um, He'd told him a little bit about the story but um, we we found him anyway and we went up and saw him and had a chat with him and he kind of looked at the photo and um, said that he thought it was familiar to him but he wasn't sure if that was because Bill had sent it to him the day before. So it's a little bit hard to gauge whether or not he was, um, his reaction was because he knew her or because of the fact that he'd seen the photo um, the day before. He it was quite a short... Man in stature and, um, my. My memory of going into the bank was that the guy was a bit taller than Chris and I, Um, so I don't believe it was him. But the fact that he confirmed that he was actually the supervisor there at the Byron Bay branch um, started in February 1997 and finished in December 1998, so he 100% would have been in the bank at the time. Um, And after speaking with Therese, who will fill you in on that in a sec, um, she also confirmed that if it was at a teller taking the, um, or helping with the transaction, they would then have to go and get the photo ID from a supervisor or a manager at the branch. Um, so you would have thought that after three and a half weeks of that repetitive behaviour that somebody would have been saying, this woman's coming in every day. Um, even I mean, people have thrown it out and said it could have been a different teller, it was a busy branch, but I still believe that, and most people have said, you know, if that was happening and occurring, they would have remembered that or they would have recalled that happening. Well, that's the
1: thing, isn't it? And and we, we can talk about Therese in in a moment, but Brian actually confirmed a couple of things that 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 it was a busy branch, but also when we said, oh, surely five thousand dollars a day, that that would have maybe almost cleared out the bank, and he, he kind of laughed and said, no, no, this was a busy branch. That they, they had sort of up to a hundred thousand mm. uh, dollars in in the in the cash drawers and a lot more in the in the vault you know if um there was a big event on or some one of the major companies was banking Mm -hmm. there there was a lot of money in that branch so handling that size that scale of withdrawal five grand a day for three and a half weeks every day turns out wouldn't have been a problem we assumed a you know small town um, branch it it would have been an issue but apparently they just go oh no no that, that that would have been not not particularly difficult or unusual or it certainly wouldn't have raised the red flag that I know I initially thought it, it would, um, which surprised me.
0: The Beach Hotel, obviously, is still a bit of an institution in Byron now, and it was then, and obviously a lot of money um, mm. was – that was another one of the reasons they had a lot of money in the branch. So, I mean, he was a lovely, lovely guy. And it he was, really was really good that he spoke to us because, you know, the three of us sort of went up there and, and um, you know, started asking him questions, and he was just delightful. It was just um, – so thank you, Brian, for – for answering our questions uh, and helping Sally in her uh, quest to... um well, all of us now in her quest to um, find her mum. And uh, he was
2: also... Sorry, Alison. He no, was sorry. also going to... Um, he, I, I sort of said to him about the guy being taller, and he said, um, was he a bit chubbier? And I said, yes, he was. And um, I said he had brown hair, and he, he sort of nodded like he kind of knew who we were talking about. And he said, oh, mm. I think... I think I know who you're talking about. I just can't put a a name to his face. And then he kind of... He kind of, his behaviour to me was that he knew who he was, t- who we were talking about, who might have been the person who took mum's photo and took a photocopy of it. He confirmed exactly, I described exactly when I was walking into the branch because it's a different branch to what it is now. The one that there's now is a new branch. But I explained it perfectly and he said, yep, yep, you're right that the um, photocopy was over to the right if you were looking to the back of the branch and the officers were at the back. So... Um, Brian, if you're listening and you can still get in contact with us, he took all our details. Um, he said he was going to try and find out who that man was um, and if he could put a name to it because realistically, all we're really asking for is for that person to let me know, Do what do they remember? Do they remember her coming in by herself? Was she with... A man? Was she by herself? Did she seem stressed when she came in? Was it somebody else taking the money out? Like we just need to get some clarity on the situation. And as Therese said, you know, it wouldn't have been hard for her to be pulling up out the front with somebody in the car, making her go in, doing those activities as well. So um, that's a shame that we didn't have the CCTV footage. Because if you'd seen the same car rocking up every day with somebody else in the car, that would have all been so helpful. Um, in finding out what what has actually happened here,
1: and, and you mentioned Therese. Uh, sorry, Alison. Just so true. people know who Therese is, we um, through through the podcast, um, so many people have reached out to us, and, and one of them, of course, was a woman named Therese Darzel, um a local up in Byron, who didn't work at the branch in 1997, but began work there, I think, in 2000 2001, and worked there for many years, um, and her. The value that she was able to bring to us in terms of the information was the procedures, protocols and, and processes for the bank dealing with customers and exactly the nature of what would have happened and, and what what she did in, in similar situations, which really has been invaluable because that was three years after Marion was there. So certainly things were were no more progressed or advanced prior to her to Therese working there. So she was able to give us quite a bit of information about how they handled customers. And I gotta say I was surprised that everything everything was still done on paper in in the early 2000s.
0: Well, thank goodness she did, because the Commonwealth Bank, um, through their media unit, weren't willing to tell us anything. In fact, their statement was, while there has been reports regarding our branches in this matter, as you would understand, Commonwealth Bank is unable to discuss or disclose information about individual customers due to privacy and confidentiality obligations. But also in relation to just their procedures and that, they wouldn't wouldn't disclose anything, just saying when customers visit us in branch or contact us over the phone, we take appropriate measures to identify them. And as you would appreciate, we don't readily disclose these measures and processes for security reasons. So we're getting it from hand obviously. <laughs> in case
1: someone goes back in time to rob yeah. the bank yes, in 1997. Yes, that's right, in 1997. I mean, that, that's absurd.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're talking about customer <laughs> procedures that customers would know in if they wanted to access money. So... They're saying they can't tell our listeners what these procedures are, even though oh, any customer dear. who wants to take this money out would know this. It's just ridiculous. They are just... Uh, and, look, the other thing that was quite controversial, and I have to say, the bank manager, Chris, he was the acting manager there on the day, lovely guy, and obviously yeah. he was restrained by what he could actually do. But, you know, he talked to us um, as in, you know, not cameras or, or uh, as an interview or anything, but, you know, he was just very friendly and, and was happy for us to be, you know, obviously there was nothing to stop us from doing the interview out the front. But also um, we put posters, well, Sally and Therese put posters up and... Um, he hadn't got permission that they could stay there, so he unfortunately had to take them down straight away after we put them up. But we got some footage of at least Sally and Therese doing that. Um and then uh, he got permission that they could stay there for a month, so, and that customers will be able to see it. I haven't seen exactly where, but if you if anyone in that's listening in Byron Bay um, that uh, goes to the bank, take a look where the posters are and take a photo for us if you can, and hopefully they're in a an obvious. Of his place mm-hmm. now, Sally. You also wanted to go on, go, go on about some of the issues in relation to how you, this, how Marion's bank account was drained.
2: Well, it was funny because when I was talking to Therese, just very casually after filming, <clears throat> I'd mentioned to her about Mum's um, police report saying that um, eighty thousand dollars had been telegraphically transferred, um, and she said you couldn't do that. Back in 1997, so that I kind of just—I don't know—I had this epiphany and went, "How did they write that in the police report if they physically couldn't do it back then?" So I've come home this week. I've done a lot of research on that. Um, Telegraphic transfer, electronic transfer, same dealio. Um, it was actually established in 1978, uh, which was a, a setup of linking different countries um, financially so that they could transfer money. Um, there was Maestro set-up in um, 1992, which was a debit card um Facility associated with banks where it could be linked to cardholders' current accounts and prepaid cards. Um, These could only be used at a point of sale. Um, through a terminal. So it was just if you were going shopping um, and you were in the UK, your credit card would be linked through Maestro and you could just use it as a point of sale like you do here in Australia. Then there was Sirius, which was an interbank network, worldwide ATM network, which was founded in 1982. Um, This was linking MasterCard and Maestro credit cards, debit cards and prepaid cards as well in a similar kind of fashion. The maximum you could withdraw from an ATM using Sirius was, because you couldn't take money out using Maestro's so, um, at an ATM, but you could using Cirrus, and the maximum daily allowance that you could withdraw was $800. So that was good to know. Um... It is stated on my mum's file on the 22nd of October 1997, um, written by Senior Constable Graham Childs, and I quote The latest transaction was for the sum of $80,000 by a telegraphic transfer, possibly to an overseas account. So, before the statement before that was about the $5,000 increments coming out in Byron Bay, then he states that the last transaction was $80,000. Firstly, I don't believe my mum had that much money because if you actually add up the three and a half weeks by five, you know, we're sort of tumbling around with 100, 120 thousand dollars. We're not exactly sure because we're not sure if it included weekends or whatnot with the three and a half weeks. But somewhere around there, a large sum of money. I know the fact that my mum had a mortgage on the house because we've got the documents of that and the paying off of that, um, the rest of that mortgage. I'm not sure how much that was but if we think that she sold the house for 165000 and she had a, a bit of a mortgage left on it and there's 120 grand coming out, there's no way she could have transferred electronically. Anyway, the other side of that is, um, you know, the other angle we've been trying to work hard on to to clarify because (laughs) it would be clear and helpful if the CBA could tell us this because then I wouldn't be grasping at straws and trying to get information from other people. Um, But this is what we've been able to find. So first off, um, you need to have a permanent residence um, to open an account in the UK. We've had plenty of listeners come forward saying, I moved to the UK, I couldn't open a bank account until I had um, bank statements with my pay on it and my um, address with, um, you know, utilities, bills and things like that. And I've had to get my boss to come in and verify that I'm working here and living here so I could open up a bank account. So it's not an easy thing to do. Um, secondly, you could not telegraphically transfer $80,000 unless you have an account set up. So she would have had to have had an address in the UK to have that money then, uh, to have an account set up to then have 80000 electronically transferred overseas. So there's a lot of question there on that report as to how that actually transpired and why is it written on her police file. Because, mm. you know, when people are reading that police file down the track... They're just reading that, going, "Oh, well, clearly she wanted to go missing. She changed her name. She went overseas, and she's electronically transferred eighty grand overseas." Uh, You know, it's it's astounding to me that they would put such blase comments on a police report, and then have have (laughs) have the fact that they say it's an occurrence only and no further action required on that police document. So that was back in nineteen ninety seven. So, yeah, so my question was why was this stated on her initial report if it's not actual fact and it can, cannot have happened um, without those other processes in place first. Um, we and, and we went
0: and saw Graham Childs too, just so everyone is aware. We tried to as well. We went
2: to his house. It was a bit like Brian and I felt like we were back in Luxembourg, you know, knocking on the door <laughs> and nobody's home and his name was on the mailbox. But, um, yeah, we went there and we put a poster up of Mum... On, in his local town, actually, if you go down the hill a little bit, there's a um, a little. Um, What's well, actually quite a big community board, isn't it? And we put my poster up there um, with her with her name on it and face on it. So hopefully he will see it and he'll ring a bell. Um, it was a
0: very friendly town. I mean, the neighbours were like, no, him and his wife are away at the Quilty Cup. So we <laughs> we missed out on seeing him. But um, we, we have got a number and we will keep um, trying to get him just to see if we can get some clarification on that. I know it's uh, 22 years ago, but uh, we have to try.
2: Yeah. And I, I guess... Um, leading on from from the the CBA situation as well. Um, I actually did sit on the phone for about two hours, uh, not last week, the week before, and they kept putting me through to different departments. I eventually got through to the security department and she was telling me pretty much the same as what we get told all the time due to privacy, can't tell you anything. And then she gave me an email address and she said, if you go to the detective on the case or the police officer who's looking after your case, and he responds to this email asking for the information, we can give it to him. There's no, you know, we're not going to hide it from him. We can we can actually physically give it to him in this case. So I then wrote to Gary and said, uh, Gary Sheen, the, the detective, detective on the case, yep. Um, yep. I wrote him an email and just asked him and gave him the email address and said, look, I've spoken to CBA. They said if you actually contact them, they will give you more information. Um He did come back with an email and... Pretty much without reading the whole thing, it's it's pretty much the same. You know, hi, Sally, I've received your email and I'm in the process of working through a few things. I've made extensive inquiries to the Commonwealth Bank back in 2010 and received certain information from them. Due to Privacy Act and other constraints, I am not able to share that information with you. However, rest assured, it was taken into consideration when the decision was made to remove your mother from the missing persons database. Um, yeah, so...
1: And, I, and again, the language in there, Sally, it, it seems to be... Um, and it's, it's so familiar that the emails like that we've been getting back from um, particularly the, the police that w- we know something. Privacy prevents us from being able to tell you what it is. But rest assured, it backs up the way we've handled the case and the assumptions we've made. Um, but at the same time, no, we have never cited Marion and no, we've never spoken to her. Mm. Um, and, and I've never been able to requite those two contradicting um, lines from the police because um, I, I, as you've always said, you'd be happy if your mum, you know, not happy, but you, you'd be able to walk away satisfied that you'd done everything and achieved what you wanted to, if, if you knew that your mum had walked away and w- was living happily or had lived happily uh, with a new life, albeit cruelly for you and, and, and Owen and, and your family, mm. but you don't know that and the, the police aren't saying that. What they're saying is, well, we've got some stuff that, you know, they're hinting backs up the way we've handled the case. We can't tell you what it is. Legislation prevents us doing that. But at the same time, they say very firmly and absolutely, no, we've never cited her, no, we've never spoken to her. Now, the assumptions they're making cannot be based on anything other than citing and or speaking to her and confirming that 100%. So I don't know how you reconcile those those two opposing
0: But that's exactly what we've been battling in NCAT, is that privacy consideration. That has been at the core of everything. And just in relation to police, for example, asking Citibank, do you have an account with Marion Barter and them coming back and saying no, things like that, that's left unredacted. Um, And it's not – I mean, even I think the senior member pointed out it's not – Rocket science, how this works, you know. They go down these lines of inquiries. It's not really giving away any secrets um, in relation, and or well, obviously that was what our council um, contended is that it's not giving away any secrets as to how this works. It's it's about you know just making inquiries and getting answers. And so a lot of that information is um, the stuff that we're trying to get unredacted, which <laughs> will answer a lot of questions for us. But also, I mean, as we've come along, this common law says after seven years is She's, unless there is proof of life then she would be presumed mm. you know that she was deceased and those privacy considerations would um, would be right. uh, would
2: we'll be lifted. yeah well way. not yeah. lifted
0: but definitely reduced um, in in weight um, yeah, the and next of kin would have uh, far more
1: access to information
0: yeah so I mean all these and this is this is where it comes down in cat and obviously next week we have that NCAT decision coming down on the 22nd of July so that's very exciting and just to clarify I guess why we're on this point so we will have an another episode a proper podcast coming out the following week on the 29th once we've been able to digest everything and get everything together we will no doubt do a a news story as well a brief news story that's not in much detail and um and we will do conversations after that as well so that will be next week but that will be our last conversations for a while as well we will end and obviously the podcast after that um pending, you know, new breakthroughs and information, because, I mean, we will continue to update through our our local um, Seven Network, Seven News, Lady Banish's account, and through our social media, um, so you'll be able to still get those updates, but, you know, I just think it's important that, um, you know, with which a milestone with the NCAT decision, and then, obviously, working towards a coronial inquest, um, they're going to be quite big. Um, before we go on, though, just coming back to CBA, um, so, um, Sally was very very much wanting to ensure that we got some sort of clarification on the telegraphic transfer. And given that um, the, the media team that I've been working with at um, CBA have been really reluctant to give me any information, I've said, look, just generally, tell me if... Whether someone wanting to take five thousand dollars out of their bank account every day for three and a half weeks in nineteen ninety seven would have to go into the bank physically, or whether they would have to do so by telegraphic transfer or electronically, or whether they could do that. So, I mean, at the very least, um, I'm hoping they'll at least clarify that. I got a very non-committal response with "We'll see what we can do." So, and just just on
1: that though, hmm. Therese did say to us, and, and we need that response from the Commonwealth Bank because they were the ones, you know, obviously. Um, with, with the procedures in place that had to be adhered. But Therese did say that, to her knowledge, um, it, you know, you could basically then in those days walk into a bank and take out your entire account no matter what the amount was. If the bank had the money, correct. it's your account, you can do what you want. That, that That's how she worded mm, it. So correct. based on that, her telling of it, um, it would have been up at the counter, taking out the cash and a, a, a two a two-step identification procedure, a signature on the bank slip, and a photo ID. That—that's how she described it. But it, it's interesting, isn't it? As you say, Alison, Therese is happy to tell us that as a former employee who did it every day for, for more than a decade. But Commonwealth Bank can't tell us what happened fifteen, twenty years ago in a branch. It's, I mean, it's 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 absurd.
0: It's a PR exercise, um, which I find quite. Quite. I mean, I would have thought if, if I was giving advice, if I was in that position, if, if whoever is making this decision not to give us any information whatsoever, it just it just makes no sense because surely in this they'd be wanting to help a daughter in the whole process of trying to find out what happened to her mum. I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, I just I get so annoyed. Yeah, with, with I don't this. see, what the, I don't see what, what the
1: risk or the compromise is, but we'll add that to the list of things for the next Banking Royal Commission. So just quickly, we, we should mention uh, while we are on the story yesterday uh, and for uh, listeners who are also on uh, Facebook and 7news.com.au, I'm going to today put a longer version showing more of what we filmed yesterday with Sally, Brian Cox, Therese Dow uh, at Byron Bay and also an interview in Cairns Alison did with the... Um, the renowned detective Ron Idle's. Alison, tell us about Ron.
0: Ah, oh, Ron is amazing. We, I mean, obviously everybody loves Ron. He's the good cop, and given that we we have had. Um, A lack of that in this case. We are um, really, really excited to have him looking over it like he is. I mean, obviously he's limited with the um, amount of information he has as well in the same way we are, but he is very passionate about it and he wants Sally to get the results. And he has um, we did the TV interview um, but we also did one for our podcast, which is a lot more in depth. Yeah, Um, amazing.
1: And tell us, uh, why is Ron uh, so well known? What's his claim to fame? Well,
0: Ron is is um he, he did I think he uh three hundred and sixty cases wasn't it three hundred and twenty homicides three hundred and twenty yeah. homicide cases that he solved he was the king of cold cases basically I mean no case was too hard he was he's one of those cops a, a former
1: police detective homicide detective
0: yeah homicide detective yeah. Who, who's basically not deterred by um you know I guess that the workload the too hard yeah the too hard basket and um has as a result has um solved some previously considered uns- unsolvable cases. Um, and um, if you, if you uh, Google Ron Iddles and the good cop, you will come up with, um, with a list of those. And he's fascinated by this case with Marion. I mean, he... And,
1: and yep. yeah, he, his, his, his line was wonderful when you asked him, um, what, what do you think it will take to crack the case or something along those lines? And he said, the answer is always in the case file. And I just my ears pricked up, and I thought, "Gee, we'd love to get a look at that case file." And of course, that's what we're trying to do through NCAT. Um, it sort of it, it, it sort of um, confirms Sally's um, quest for for years now, uh, joined by us, and through this legal action in the New South Wales Administrative Tribunal, to get a look at that case file. Not not to uncover any wrongdoing or mishandling of the case by the police. We're trying to find Marion. And Ron said it loud and clear. This is an experienced, possibly the most experienced homicide detective in the country, the answer is always in the case file. And I as hope I to God mentioned, he's right.
2: and as I said to you guys yesterday, when I was filing all my paperwork, my file was expanding. It broke. I had to go and buy new folders and put all my <laughs> things into separate files now, so I can easily access them. But for those of you who um, don't
1: know, Sally, she writes everything down. She's, she's constantly is... writing everything down. So there's <laughs> there's not a book. There's a, there's a series. There's an encyclopedia, Sallyana, coming. out. Oh,
0: it was great when I when we first took this on, and then you'd ask for Sally. And Sally just had it all there. It was just, I mean, it was part of the the appeal um, was the fact that, you know, having everything yeah. written,
2: it's, those records are so integral. I mean, given... Yeah, I'm not the only one that keeps records. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. what, what I sent to Alison and Brian yesterday was a screenshot of the police report. So I keep going over this. It's a bit like a, an addiction. I keep dredging yeah, myself surprising. through it and looking at it. And... What I found at the end, which I've always kind of just looked at and, and not really, I don't know, you kind of look at these things and you pick something out of it every single time. Anyway, I took a screenshot and I sent it to Alison and Brian and said, isn't this fascinating? This is actually the case file for my mum and all the um, all the dates and the inserts of what's happened throughout the case. However, it says at the very bottom, end of report, asterisk, asterisk, on each side and the last date of entry. Well sorry, the first date of entry is the seventh of the seventh, two thousand and seven.
1: Which is my birthday, but um so that, that, that,
2: that, <laughs> Happy birthday. That, but thank no, no you, thank on you a serious note, like yeah. what happened to the one in nineteen ninety seven? Like where well, was- I was
1: looking at that, I was thinking about that because that that obviously stands out. Um and it that is but that is a COPS system report, C O P S, mm. which is the for the uninitiated is the computer database system they've been using in New South Wales for, for many years. Um, I think they use it in most police services in Australia. I don't know what they used prior to that, and I just wonder if your initial report and whatever notes were made, because I- I've seen, I've seen notes, haven't I, from grandchilds in in database form, in um, in the file, in the redacted file we got through Freedom of Information. So yeah, well, that's where if that eighty thousand dollar
2: comment is, like in yeah, Grandchild's so report. Yeah. But so remember uh, that, that to... might just
1: be a, that might just be a different database because I think the format um, that Charles was filling out that form in was a different database than that one. I think that, so. Possibly. That may be why the record only stretches back on that database to 2007. Possibly. I think I don't know that for sure. We need to check that.
2: Well, and too, like um, I actually have an email back to Stephen McAllister, yeah. who was at the missing persons unit, because he had made he'd phoned me and I was actually at my grandmother's house, my mum's mum. And my dad happened to be there. Like, this is just ridiculous. Her, my, my auntie was there. And he rang me and he was asking me all these questions about, you know, what's your mum's date of birth and what was her occupation. That was later, though, it wasn't it?
0: It wasn't this is,
2: this is up to, like, 2007. Yeah, 2007. Oh, sorry.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so 10 years later. And I, so I wrote back to him. I said, I'm, I'm really quite surprised that you are asking me these questions. I would have thought that it would be on her file. And it seemed to me that they couldn't find the file because he was asking me questions. Oh, Do you remember who the person was that took your statement? Do you remember who it was who rang you? And all these sorts of questions. And I was like, oh, see, that should all be documented, I would have thought, on the police file. But he couldn't find it. And I remember Gary said the same sort of thing. He was struggling to find information on mum's file and he had to really go back and dig deep. And that's when he found the... um, the Crime Stoppers call that came through, that had obviously just come through and been slotted into some sort of random file, and no one really bothered to look at it until Gary um, found it and he he took it on board. So
0: with the tribunal yeah. as well, I mean, one of the uh, external review issues that we raised was sufficiency of search, and they did make a supplementary decision when we went to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which did result in them doing another search and finding more documents, which was interesting. I don't think they found all the documents they thought. Um, But getting back to Ron, I just wanted to also say, I mean, when we do get that um, unredacted, well, less reduced redacted (laughs) file, I should say, um, we Mm. will give Ron a copy of that so that he can have a look over. Um, The other thing about Ron, which was quite ironic, is five weeks ago... He said, "I wish I knew about Luxembourg because five weeks ago he was in Luxembourg. <laughs> Can you
1: oh believe that?" It? It's been like that the whole he way said, through.
0: I'm really interested in, in Fernand. I want to speak to him. He said, I would have gone up and. Um. Well, that's
1: that's the other thing. When we were speaking to Brian Cox in Byron Bay, um, we asked him. Um, he said, "Look, I was the supervisor. I wasn't the manager of the retail section of the bank," and we asked him, uh, "Who was?" And he gave us the name and Alison asked him, do you know if he's still around? And he said, actually, I found out today that he passed away in February. So we've just missed speaking to the manager in that section of the bank in 1997, who for all we know may have served whoever was taking money out of Marion's account. It's It's... It's been a both, um, we've been both lucky and unlucky in, in a cruel and wonderful way in this journey, and, and every day is a new surprise.
0: What we are lucky with, um, which was re- we've reported this week on the news, is that, so police have, New South Wales police have confirmed that New South Wales homicide are reviewing the evidence um, and determining whether to report this suspected death to the coroner. The coroner has like, taken interest in the case, which is fantastic, and Sally, mm. you got a call, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I got a call yesterday afternoon. Um, I had actually rung the missing persons unit myself um, about 10 days ago. And um, was actually prompted by Joni. She sort of said to me, um, you know, there's a national database for DNA. Um, you should give them a call and see if your, your DNA is actually on that national database. Um, so I actually rang them. I spoke to a lovely girl. She um, rang me back and um, she was actually the temporary manager while they're... Resetting up the missing persons unit um, that was disbanded a few months back. So um, she had told me that um, she was going to leave messages and notes for the new manager coming into the unit um, and that she would give me a call when she started um, with an update, which she did. So I was very thankful that um, I got a phone call from New South Wales Uh, missing persons unit so thanks to you guys down there for at least keeping me in the loop of what's going on because that does make a big difference to these cases Um, and they said that they are currently doing a review on mum's case and that she would call me back next week with an update on what's happening Fantastic. so just to let you all know there's a there is a national database that's been set up for dna um, for people who are missing obviously um, or deceased and she what the lady told me on the phone who was the assistant or the the manager who was just stepping in while they were setting it up had informed me that it was actually currently going through a bill through parliament to have it passed which I again I kind of question as to why there's so much red tape around all this stuff it doesn't seem that I mean, I understand it's difficult, but I don't know why it's difficult. Like I don't think it should have to be that difficult um, to merge. And this is simply just to say that we're okay for New South Wales to merge their information with Queensland, and them to merge theirs with Northern Territory, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, so that we have a united database of DNA for testing against any Jane Doe's, which means if someone finds bones in Western Australia um, but someone's missing from New South Wales, like my mum, they'll run that DNA against that bone, the bones that they find in Western Australia and therefore they get a result, um, whereas at the moment it's simply within um, their jurisdiction. So uh, makes it very difficult. She told me that... Um, it was likely that I wasn't on that database at this point um, and I asked why and whether or not I would be um, added to the national database and she said it's a case-by-case scenario at the moment um, but that's kind of why the question was put to them um, in, initially as to why I, I rang them.
0: So also just to um, clarify with the the police, Um, so this is what the media team have told me at New South Wales Police. Detective Senior Constable Sheen will soon meet with senior investigators from the Homicide Squad to conduct a case in review. This is a routine review to... I don't know if it's routine, but anyway... ..to determine future direction of an investigation. But I'm told for this case the Homicide Squad will discuss their recommendations with the coroner as her honour has expressed interest so anyway that that's um that's really positive, uh, and I think Sally was really quite buoyed by by that, just seeing that you know that's good you know that that the coroner's expressed interest and that the homicide is but i'm not, I'm not getting overly excited about what the homicide squad will come back with because um I don't imagine that New South Wales police will want a coronial inquest. Um, So if they do come back negative and and basically just reaffirming the the status quo, then that's when we'll go to the Supreme Court.
2: Yeah, Yeah, look, and I think um, anything that people are looking into is a positive, in my opinion. Um, I think it might be time for other people to look at the case, um, you know, and other people to run eyes over it, like Ron, for example, um, because I think the same people have been running their eyes over it the whole time and they have a firm opinion on what the status quo is and they're not really happy to or open, I guess, to looking at other options or going, okay, well, maybe let's just have another look at it or let's run this or let's check that because until such time as they can confirm that they physically have seen her... I'm not satisfied and, you know, I think it's cruel really to sit there and say to somebody that has a missing person, you know, oh, well, we haven't found her but we believe based on this that she's missing on her own account. There's more to it than meets the eye with this case and, you know, we. I think Ron mentioned to Alison too that back in 1997 you could actually fly to New Zealand without um, having a passport. So that was another element we thought... We might have to venture into and start doing some promo over in New Zealand. Yeah, and um, we've
1: got our Kiwi listeners, so yes. start, start, put your research caps on and start Please looking around.
0: We'll, let, contact us any New Zealand listeners, and we can send you posters to put up. Because Ron had a really interesting <coughs> case of a of a guy who went missing for 25 years, yeah. turns up in New Zealand because you, again, you he, can disappear there. You can, yeah. yeah. You didn't need passports back then. Turns up, Dunedin police got in contact. He sent investigators over. That was the guy. They thought he was dead, buried. Under some highway, so yeah. it's it's fascinating. So yes, please, um, New Zealand listeners, help us with uh, with this because it was that publicity that um, he was recognised. Mm. It was through that publicity. So can I mention a couple yep. of quick things? Yep. Um, sure.
1: One is the petition. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's up over twenty five thousand four hundred signatures. Mm. Fantastic.
0: It's just, Thank you. It's just fantastic. crazy. I...
1: Yeah, which, which is you know a great endorsement of what we're trying to do. It's change.org, type in Marion Barter, you get a page, New South Wales Police, please find my mother, Marion Barter, and it's got 25,450 signatures and counting. And God love um, Jen a of support. Yes, yeah, God yeah, love Jen yeah. Yeah, thank Every, you, every thank you, single Jen. post
2: I put, she's like, please sign the petition. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, I love her. So And Jen was,
1: the, Jen was the one who was at the State Library when I was there going through yeah, I know. phone books and microphones. She's all over this. The librarian, uh, and, and I, and this I, woman And this woman said to me, um, Brian, I said yes. He goes, "Oh hi, it's Jennifer Marsh." She was there researching the Lady Vanishes at the same time I was. Amazing. The other thing I want to mention is um, we have set up a tip uh, a, a website for anonymous tips for people who don't want to give us their identity, their email address or name, which is fine, absolutely fine. So we've set up a website especially for you. It's theladyvanishes.org. And I've also added a a button there so that you can upload files and photos because someone did ask about that. Um, A couple of people are sending us um, suggestions and ideas that site is not for that. Please use our Facebook or our email for suggestions and ideas. This site is for genuine tips about Marion. We don't expect to get many. We hope we get one really good one. Um, so it's the,
0: the org, and you can go on there and help us anonymously if you can. And before we get to Sally, um, I just want to also thank again because it's so important to thank... Joni and Christina who we just love. They're just wonderful. Thank we, you, Joni.
1: Thank you, Christina.
0: And
2: I'm gonna, gonna add too, because I've got June June and Jen. Um, I've got probably there's six of us and we have our little our little catch ups on a daily basis. <laughs> um, because they're just so conscientious and I, I've said to them, please don't stop looking with me because it's such a you know, as much as Brian and Alison helping me, these guys are amazing. And, you know, Jen and Jen and and June, we have a bit of a running joke with them because they're still going at midnight half the time and our phones are going bling 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 um but you know they've been amazing as well and my my girlfriend cassidy she's she's been outstanding, she's been all over it and commenting for me and helping me post things and whereas because it's it is getting a little bit crazy for me for me especially because I've been sick um Trying to get through everything and trying to answer everybody. So thanks, Cass, for that. And there's also the two Kells, you know, who have been helping as well. So there's they're 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 my little six angels, I guess, who are helping me along this journey as well. So thanks, guys. And there are a lot. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And 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 those those helpers becoming part of. Uh, A a story, a a very big story, an amazing story, and it's just so wonderful that that ordinary people can and do find the time to help in the way that these wonderful women are. Thank you so much. I mean, we, we, we started this hoping that we would get people like you to support us and help us. We had no idea we'd get such wonderful, resourceful, intelligent,
0: mm, and uh, and dedicated
1: people. Just and, and fantastic! Thank you so much.
0: I, I I find it surprising that every every week, uh, probably probably every day, is someone like reaching out saying, "What can I do to help?" Yeah.
2: Well, I had a lady last night. She's been messaging me all week, her name's Sam, and um, she'd been messaging me for a week, a couple of weeks going, oh, can I call you? Can I call you? And obviously I, I didn't have much of a voice last week. I still don't have one. But um, anyway, we were on the phone last night for about an hour, um, probably even longer, and then after that she's messaging me back and forth trying to help me find things and just coming up with ideas. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I, I've had quite a few phone calls from people um, recently just with some ideas and, you know, everyone's really... Courteous as well, you know. They'll text me first and say when's the exactly, good time yeah. to call. I just, I've just got an idea I want to throw at you. Um, I had another lady call me the other day. She thought she'd found her answer to finding the pilot, um, and uh, you know, so I was able to sit down with her, go through the class list, and give her some names and things like that. Um, so it turned out to be a dead end, but you know, she was like, "Oh my god, I was up all night thinking about this. I had to tell you. I had to tell you." So I'm so grateful. And you know, when I say that those six are, you know, the ones helping me, there's. Millions of you helping me, and I'm very grateful to everybody's help. And even my my um, my um, father-in-law, his brother, who's caravanning around Australia at the moment. He actually wrote a, a book himself about a murder mystery um, a few years ago, like quite a few years ago. Anyway, he was he's so keen and vested in this. He's like, Sal, I know you're really busy, but can I ask you some questions? I'm just trying to work this out, and I just I love that. I love that um, people are so conscientious into trying to help me because um... And this is
1: how we're going to solve it and, and we even got an email from a 24 year old girl in Sweden saying, look um, I'm going to take a month off and help you with the podcast. Oh. Uh, it's, it's just amazing It's just <laughs> amazing that,
0: I mean, it's People around the world, I'm thank so... you so
1: much and this is how we're going to find out What happened to Marion? This is how we're going to do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How cool. We're doing it right now. That's such a cool thing. I know, it is. And
2: Christina's got a, you know, she's getting like recruits over there as well. I know. We've got a lady who's just gone over to live in the UK and she's like, I'm here to help Christina. I'm like, oh, my God, Christina's going to have her own little bandwagon over there soon enough. Because um, your
1: story, Sal, Sal, is universal. It's about a daughter looking for her mum. Yeah. It resonates with people across the world. What would you do? How far would you go? Mm, You're answering that that question and you're showing us it, you're living that that experience, and you're sharing it with a, a, a global audience of millions, and it's just magnificent. I know.
2: that's really scary, isn't it? Now we haven't <laughs> even got. To, it, it, so is a bit scary. It, it is a bit scary when it's your, your whole life is out there for yeah. like nearly four million people listening to your story. It is a little daunting sometimes, I must admit. Luckily, but you have. That I support. try and hold it together.
1: I think it's going to get a lot bigger, Sally. I think it's going to get a lot bigger. I do. Yeah.
0: Now we we haven't even got to Sally's list. So we... I haven't got
2: much of a list because I've okay, been talking well, as we've been going. I will.
0: Up. I will say, um, first of all, can you just touch on the, what you... Because we we have a feeling that um, Marion was travelling on Japanese airlines. So Sally did get a response. Unfortunately, it was negative, wasn't it, Sally?
2: Yeah, so we went back to JAL and um, they we were requesting if they had a passenger list um, and unfortunately they came back to me because it was actually Christina doing all that work. Um, we were trying to work out... Um, flight paths and things like that and time frames for airlines and what airlines would have had a stopover um, in Tokyo. And we've kind of narrowed it down to JAL, Qantas and BA, um, British Airways. And um, I did – well, Christina did write to JAL initially and they said, look, we can't tell you anything. We'd have to speak to, you know, myself if that was the case. So I then wrote to them and they came back uh, with a very delayed response but, you know, said, unfortunately, they don't have any records dating back to 1997. So – yet again another dead end um, but you know we're, I'm kind of used to that now It's yeah, and, and they people,
0: won't all be dead ends
2: no and people I think some people are a bit critical that I've left it this long per se to start looking but um, what people need to understand is I have been looking and trying to do all these mm. things myself Um, for a very, very long time and it's actually very hard when you are still, you know, having babies and, you know, building houses and, you know, living life and working full time. It's actually a pretty, pretty hard work to to do it. Um, It's still hard work now and I've got a massive team helping me now and it's still, it's still hard. It's actually, it gets more and more involved every single day, doesn't it? So... Um anyway that's just you know
0: but it's a labor of love so that's
2: what Well makes it- you know there's a purpose to the exercise we hope that we get a good outcome so that's that's the We thing. will
0: get a good outcome. I am I'm, I'm certain on that.
2: Okay. Well I'm, I've got my fingers crossed. <laughs> um and I just want to just quickly say to um, Christina's been coming back and forth um we've kind of had to narrow down our questions and our our research because it's just becoming so massive. We've kind of had to do different files. So Christina's been um, still chasing visitor books from around her area, around Sussex and Kent and Tunbridge Wells and so forth, and she had... one way, com- one place, come back to her. Said that they did have, they found the visitor book from back in 1997. But they scrolled back through, and there was no signatures under Rammekel or Barter that they could find on that book. Um, Tombridge Castle, where we visited, um, have come back to her. They're still searching for the book, but she has now been told by them if, in fact, they do find the book, it'll have to go through the police due um, yeah. to privacy, so they won't be able to show her. The visitor book, I mean, how ridiculous is that? Um, but anyway, oh, uh, Christine is still chugging along over in the UK with um, quite a few things, so thanks for that. Hmm. Is there anything else you want me to... Um, is it my turn now? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it's your turn, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's
2: actually my turn. Um, okay, well, I don't, I don't know that I really have much else. Let me just have a scroll through my little... F- Long list
0: You've always here. done a lot, but it's it's about limiting <laughs> what what's the. Well, must? I don't want
2: to confuse people either. I guess probably the last thing I'll point on, um, which is an interesting thing. We've I, I think everyone will agree. Um, you know, we had a conference call with a lady who had messaged us saying, "Look, I've got some information. Can I talk to you?" And so. Uh, probably, what, three weeks ago, Mm -hmm. two weeks ago, um, Alison and I had a a conference call with her and she just shared some information which has been verified through a law firm here in Brisbane um, that Christina contacted about ASIC's unclaimed monies. Um, So they've come back as well and confirmed pretty much what this woman was saying. Um, And this is the issues that we have. I'll just read out my notes because it might make it a bit easier. So we found out that um, ASIC's unclaimed money – um, that states the Barclay Bank reference. So when we're talking about that, there's like nearly $15,000 sitting in unclaimed money and it, has, it says that it's sitting in Barclays Bank in Mint Street in Rye, which has thrown us a bit for yeah. six because there's no such place. So we've kind of been a bit confused about that to begin with. So Christina started digging a bit deeper. Uh, and when we look closer, we actually found out that Barclays Bank in Mint Street in Rye was, her, was my mum's nominated address in the UK. So not the fact that the money was sitting in Barclays Bank, but that my mum's address in the UK was listed as this Mint Street on Rye, which is a Barclay bank. Um, and the money was actually not sitting in the bank as we first thought. turns out the CBA has... Uh, affiliates with banks throughout the world, and Barclays Bank is the one for the UK. So, uh, but here lies another problem. The bank runs their reports on the 31st of March every year to determine if an account is active or not. Uh, Banks apparently send out letters to account holders to alert them before sending the funds to unclaimed money. Mum had Leslie Lovesday's address as her forwarding address. However, Leslie doesn't have, uh, nor do I have any of the letters from the bank read this. Um, so, obviously, it would be good to know if the bank was getting those letters back saying that this person's, you know, not at this address or return to sender or what have you, um, guessing they won't have that information, being it so long ago. But, um, obviously, we don't have any letters that they're saying that they're about to um, transfer the money to unclaimed. Um, the other problem we're trying to figure out is that Mum's account was claimed not active in 2004. Now, you need to listen closely because this gets confusing. So this would mean that by the 31st of March 2004, there had to have been a claim in my mum's account. They, sorry, they claim my mum's account hadn't been active for seven years. So on the 31st of March 1997, my mum hadn't mentioned going overseas. She hadn't sold her house, hadn't changed her name or quit her job. So how was it deemed not active on the 31st of March 1997? So does that make sense? So they do their report on the 31st of March every year. So they would have – so for seven years means 2004, mm. which is when they've said the money was then claimed to be um, unclaimed and put it into ASICS. So what they've said and what the lawyers have said, it seems like they've, they're have they a few months too early based on mum's um, timeframe or timeline as to why that money would have been claimed as unclaimed and sent to ASICS. Does that make sense?
0: Hmm.
2: It does. I know it bounces around a little bit. So so in other, in other words, what they're saying is that my mum's account would have been dormant from the 31st of March 1997 for seven years later in 2004 to have been deemed unclaimed. But um, as I said, like she hadn't even sold the house or talked about going overseas or anything at that point. She changed her name, sold the house at the end of April, changed the name in May So 31st of March seems a little bit early in the timeline for her to not be actively using that account. And then if we look at the other fact is that, you know, her account was actually having $5,000 withdrawn out of it from the CBA account Mm. for three and a half weeks in Byron Bay from the middle of August. So that means that it went right through to September. So technically speaking, it should have been the following year that that report was done not 1997.
0: Okay, just to verify, Mm -hmm. if we had a coronial inquest, I'd imagine all that would be cleared up, like, because if if there was an open finding and all, like, that money would then be released if there was any money left um, or whatever to, um, obviously, next to Kim, which would be Sally. So, I mean, these are all the things, these sorts of quandaries, which we're still we're still grappling with.
2: Well, this is what I mean. Like, it's just there's these little tiny things that, are, that stick in your head and go, well, "Hang, hang on, how did they claim that it was unclaimed for seven years mm. if the timeframe doesn't fit for a no. full seven years? Like, they can't physically do that legally so well, i'm not really sure i mean of course oh, i just don't know like that's another yeah another, it's just another, another thing uh, that we're trying to trying to, discrepancy to get to the bottom
1: with. of yeah and getting, i'm gonna to have to race off to yeah, cover no. the story for the 6 p.m news for channel 7 7, 7 news at 6 p.m on a completely different story <laughs> but i have to rush off and do an interview so i'm gonna take my leave all right No, we're, Sally, we're all Sally, done we'll, we'll talk soon um and allison talk to you soon and everyone listening bye-bye
0: thank you bye everyone bye everyone